0: So, I think I'm learning a lot from traveling. It's more like it's helping me reclaim my humanity and keep saying to myself, I am enough. I've got nothing to prove. I don't have to prove that I'm human. I am human just for breathing and for being human. Yeah, 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 yeah
1: hey loves it's wanda the host of the black women travel podcast i'd like to invite you to become a patron of the black women travel podcast there are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community we can continue to heal ask for what we deserve get it and inspire the next generation Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. What I'll have you do,
2: please, is I'll have you just say your name, your business, where you're from, where you're currently traveling to, just like a little intro, okay?
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, My name is Vanille and my business is Wealthy Money, so that's uh, wealthy-money.com. And um, I help women unlock their inner money gurus so that they can live their best lives uh, by healing their ancestral money stories. And I am currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Um, Where am I traveling to next? I'm heading back to South Africa for three weeks, then heading to Sri Lanka again (laughs) for the second time this year.
2: And you are from South Africa
0: Yes, I'm from South Africa. Uh, I'm looking to move to Sri Lanka semi permanently.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what do you do in Sri Lanka?
0: Mm, I will be running retreats in Sri Lanka and just doing the work that I do, which is I do, which is work that I do. Um, Virtually, which is coach people and also running my wealthy money academy from there. Just I really, really love Sri Lanka and I want to build a retreat space out there. Mm -hmm. Okay,
2: well, let's talk more about how you got to the point where you were able to get your coaching business together, how you healed your own ancestral. Uh, stories about money. So take take us all the way back to the beginning of when you were starting Wealthy Money.
0: So I've been traveling since I was 21. So for 15 years now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started traveling with a credit card. (laughs) And that led to some really crazy... Dead for me. So I moved to Boston, Massachusetts to do an MBA. I thought I'd give up traveling and do the whole like be an adult thing because I thought that was meant to be an adult. You mm-hmm. settle down, you get a master's, you get a job and it doesn't happen for me. I mean I graduated with my MBA but Uh, The job thing just never happened. People wouldn't hire me. My resume was like non existent. It was uh, me working in different countries and I was seen as unstable, et cetera, et cetera. I think employers now are probably much more understanding Mm -hmm. now that they've started to understand the travel lifestyle. then it wasn't a thing you know and in 2010 as it was still not something that people were looking on were looking at they weren't looking at travel as a thing that they wanted in their employ in their employees so i left boston in 2011 and during that whole time that i've been in boston i'd never struggled so much financially i mean I was broke. I was depressed. I was suicidal. It was just everything converged. So I went on this journey of understanding what the hell was going on because I knew my issues were not practical because I have a finance degree and I'd just done my MBA. So, and I'd done really well in the finance stuff. I understood the numbers and the practical stuff. But when it came to my own personal finance and doing things for myself, I couldn't put it together. I couldn't do it. So I started on this journey to becoming debt-free and along the way I realized that it had nothing to do with money, you know, and I was very clear on that already. So I started working on my depression and my suicide, um, my suicidal thoughts and tendencies and just like really, um, just my entire mission was really to get out of bed, you know, was to wake up and not feel like I wanted to end my life. So that was my first mission. And so I went on this journey. And for me, it was linked to money. I thought it was linked to money, right? Because I was like, well, I see the connection and I've been depressed since my teens. And it was also a lot of finance issues, money issues at home. So I definitely felt like my stuff was linked to money. Little did I know it had little to do with money, no lot to do with trauma. And some of the trauma wasn't my own. So I started just healing that i remembered a lot of things that i'd learned from home and then i moved back to south africa in 2011 and went deeper in the work um i moved to in and then i paid off my debt in those in the three years that i was in south africa wrote a book paid off my debt and most of my debts were in u.s dollars i was earning south african rands. i paid my debts in South African rand for US dollars. So even though the rand was like one, at that $1 equals 13 rand. So I had like $60,000 worth of debt and I was earning way less than most Americans earn. But I just used this work and I didn't have to start today to do anything. I used this work. I developed an extra stream of income. I just started building my company. And um, the inner work really works. I moved away from affirmations, visualization. That didn't really work for me. So I just decided to do true healing, healing trauma. And I created my own body of work of healing trauma from the physical, what's going on in the body, connecting with the body, releasing trauma stored in the body. And then I started doing... uh more work around just healing childhood trauma healing deep ancestral trauma using some of the things that i'd learned from my family my sister's a shaman my niece is a shaman they some they call some in south africa my mom is also a healer in south africa so i used i just basically merged african healing with Eastern um, healing and I just, yeah, I moved away from (laughs) traditional things in the West. And as I started, um, when I got rid of debt, then I started focusing more on building my income and now it's more around creating passive income because it's easier to travel if you have a passive stream of income. So I'm working not, since I'm debt free, I'm now working on true financial freedom which to me is about making money without actually having to work for money, no longer trading my time for dollars or rands, so right. to speak. But yeah, yeah so my next um, thing that I'm working on, and I've actually, I'm in the process of launching a podcast on that with my co host, Nizo, is oh. real estate. So I've been moving more and more into real estate. Um, I converted my mom's house into a retreat center so she can now use it for healing. So I saw from that just how powerful it can be to have a space um, that you can rent out for things, you know, because I pay my mom now for that space. And I was like, Where up. Like, I need to find a way out of this. And my apartment also in Cape Town. So... I'm in the process of doing more in the real estate industry. Don't jinx anything because I'm in the process of making some deals and stuff. But yeah, so that's how everything has happened for me. But really how I started traveling from a young age was I started credit cards and then I would get jobs in the various countries where I landed. And as I've gotten older, it's been through my own company where I've been building my coaching practice, Wealthy Money Academy, and then I introduced retreats. And now um, that income has allowed me to start making moves into real estate in a more impactful manner. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So, okay, let's go back just a little bit. You were talking about how you would, travel you would try to get jobs in the country where you were traveling and you said that you had a problem because employers didn't you said they In
0: the U.S., I had a problem, but in other countries, not so much. Okay. So America, yeah, and I think also it was the kind of jobs I was going for in the U.S. because I just got in my MBA and I had sixty thousand dollars in debt that I didn't have before when I started traveling. So I could no longer do cruise ship work or waitressing work or working in people's yards, random jobs. I was like. I have got real debts now. I've got real debts. I need to pay this off. So I wanted like, I wanted an investment banking job. Uh So for that, it was, they were, they would do all these crazy ass personality tests. I would like pass all the practical stuff and fail the personality test because apparently I wasn't the right fit. At the time I I got so angry, but, Looking back now, I'm like, wow, god damn, those personality tests were so freaking spot on. So what were you angry about? Well, I was angry because I wanted a job, right? I just, <laughs> I wanted, I was, I was $60,000 in debt and I couldn't believe a lie. I was like 27 years old. I had $60,000 in debt and I was Freaking out. I couldn't see how I was gonna live. Right? I was like, I have to pay off this debt. This is insane, you know? So that was my entire thing. So that's where my anger came from. It was like, why don't these people want to give me a chance to pay off my debt? (laughs) Which is like And I literally thought that the only way to pay off this debt was to get a job. You know, it's like it made sense to me in my head that obviously if I have debts to pay, I need a job so I have money. And then I had even a 20-year plan to pay off this debt. Mm-hmm. And luckily the 20-year plan didn't work out because I paid off the debt in four years. <laughs> and wow, it was a lot. It was a, It was a bit hectic. <laughs> so
2: you said that at one point you understood that it wasn't about the money that it was about
3: no.
2: your emotional state um, about needing to drop your visualizations and affirmations that weren't working for you and
0: go I mean I I just dropped all that altogether, and even in my courses I ask students to drop that and I just say just do the work for 30 days let's do deep deep healing for 30 days and then you can come back to the affirmations if it's not working for you for 30 days Mm -hmm. and most people will go back like after a year a year and a half when things are going well because then I'll say yeah now that you've got your breakthrough now you can say whatever the heck you want to say to yourself because You're not, because what happens with affirmations and visualizations and this altering of energy that people are being taught is that you're actually just programming a brand new program on trauma. You're not clearing out the trauma. You're not healing the trauma. Mm -hmm. So what you need is you need to go in and excavate the trauma, Mm -hmm. you know? And then once you heal that trauma, you will feel the difference because then you can add a new program on Heals trauma, but it's also I also feel like sometimes we're forcing things with affirmations, right? And then you're not actually coming from the place of what is best for your soul, so to speak. You're coming from a place of what you think is best for your soul because you're running away from facing the trauma. So you're scared of being in the anxiety. So you're like, I feel peaceful. I feel peaceful. No, you're not feeling calm and peaceful. Be in the anxiety, go into the anxiety, go into the fear, go into the panic, the desperation, all these emotions, which people call negative emotions, but every emotion is there for a reason. It's there to teach us something. To be alive doesn't mean we have to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. I think part of life is knowing how to handle the unhappy moments, the not so joyous moments and not run from them. because. Being alive is to experience everything, right? So my my issue with that was I started to learn that I was, what I was doing with affirmations was trying to not experience the quote unquote bad stuff or the suffering in life. And now I don't I just think an event is what it is, a situation is what it is, you know, it's us that attaches the suffering tag or the bad tag or the negative tag. It is what it is. Not, and that's the thing that I teach as I say to people, it's the first thing I say to everyone that's in the money magic course is so you don't have money in the bank. Let's work on not having an emotional reaction to that. And yeah. the way we don't have an emotional reaction to that is we face it. We go into it. We look at that bank account. We sit with the emotions. We throw up if we need to throw up we panic we scream but eventually we want to get to a point where we can just be observers so mm-hmm. that we don't keep running from what's happening in our finances mm-hmm. and that's the key and then we go deeper into trauma we start looking at ancestral uh, and how and like just ancestral stuff around how money was used in the family we look at our childhood the, um, stories, beliefs, all these things that we carry from childhood around money. And it doesn't even have to do with money. Really, it has nothing to do with money. could be just like you were sitting as a child and you observed your mom do something and somehow you attach that to money, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe you have a story of hectic abuse in your childhood Well, it's not about the money. The abuse had absolutely nothing to do with the money, right? But the abuse system is indirectly related to your feelings of not being good enough. So somehow we live in a society that shows us that money is a measure of value So having more money would mean that I'm more valuable in my mind. So the subconscious mind has this belief, but your subconscious mind has this deep trauma of abuse that led you to believe that you're not good enough. So then you attach the memory of the abuse to the not good enough. So I can't make more money because making more money means that I'm good enough. And that contradicts a deep childhood story that I've got running around not being good enough, right? So you wanna remain true to that story. So there's so many interesting things that go on around money that have very little to do with money, yeah. you know? And, and that's the.
2: That's, and, and your work is getting to the heart of that.
0: Yes, yeah, so heart my work. Issues. Yeah. So a third of what I teach is very practical money stuff, you know, like how do I increase my income? How do I pay off debt? Like practical stuff, but all those practical things um, kind of, how do I say, partnered with this deep work, right? We even go in, we do a lot of work in Akashic Records to go into past lives or just this lifetime to find out vows that we've made so the meditate I use a lot of guided meditations and the guided meditations are very specific it's almost like a coaching session Mm -hmm. you know except that you're in meditation so they'll run anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes and then There's work that we do around that and then we debrief and people come into the Facebook group. They share their experiences and then we all share our insights and suggestions of the next meditation to move into. For example, I have like 30 guided meditations and I'm in the process of recording 60 more Mm -hmm. right now. And there's just a lot that we do. Like there's things around what I call um, the God wound. So I coined that term mm-hmm. and it's about really looking deeper into our, our um, relationship with God because I real, I work with a lot of black women and our um, relationship with God is very interesting if we come from very deeply religious backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Luckily, I don't come from a religious background but and that's how I was able to see it. And so we do work on that because that also affects our relationship with money. Because we're on, we're not able to open up fully to miracles and divinity. And to assume that we don't, that our relationship with God hasn't been affected by our deep history of uh, oppression, mm-hmm. is such a fallacious idea, right? It's, it's like. It's not possible if you come from a history of oppression like African-Americans or South Africans or even most of the continent in terms of colonization, then there is no way that your history, that your relationship with the divine isn't tainted in some way because there'll be questions that you have around why me, why this? So we have to heal them and Not without, and not in the superficial way of saying, oh, but no, you can't question this. You can't do that. Oh, everything happens for a reason. I just don't believe that, (laughs) you know? How do we know everything happens for a reason? How do we know that things have divine timing and God timing? These are human concepts. What are those things even? So let's heal. Let's truly heal that.
2: So instead of a... um and acceptance based on faith, you create a framework for black women or your, your clients in general, because I'm sure you serve more than just black women, but for them- Yeah,
0: I've served so many people from all walks of life. I'm so glad, I'm so pleased to be able to do this work like that.
2: But you help them to reframe their experiences to dig into their experiences about the things yeah. that they maybe have, like um, yeah, the things they have almost, well, maybe not, it's not passive, but in a faith based way, accept it and ask them to question those things so that they could start to unearth the heart of the problem of their relationship. Yes,
0: yes definitely. I'm very, very big on that. I'm, um, I'm big on going into the dark spaces, right? Mm-hmm. I love it because it's so powerful. So it's not that I'm against the light, you know, but I feel before we can shine light into spaces, we have to stop being afraid of the dark and the dark and the dark spaces, mm-hmm. all those things that make us scared. We go in and we face them. So even... Our entire relationship with the divine, which is sometimes based on fear, we need to face that. So I'll say to people, it's okay to be angry at the divine. It's okay to just say "if it and "if you, you know, but we need to heal that
1: because
0: mm-hmm. just accepting a lot of things and allowing those emotions to come to the fore can be so healing. A lot of why our shadows persist is because... And it's because we refuse to love them. It's because we refuse to love those things. So giving ourselves permission to love the things that we were taught are unlovable to accept those negative, quote unquote, uh, negative thoughts and emotions has so much power because then we, we stop giving these things power over us, the emotions, the thoughts, stop having as much power over us. When we realize that it's okay to have a specific thought, we don't have to run from it. As long as we don't react from uh, react to it, we can sit with it, you know, mm-hmm. and be with it, question it, and then release it. And if it comes up again, keep going there, you know, keep seeing where it comes from.
2: So did you have a similar process whenever you were wanting to travel? Um, I have an idea, and I don't know if it's true for you, but that... People who want to travel long term, people who want to leave their hometown, their home country, are a lot of times seen as very different and strange because the majority just don't. Did you have a similar process when you were coming to terms with this? Like, "Um, I don't want to be here all the time. I want to be somewhere else. Like, how do I extract
0: myself? Yeah, I think. Nobody, even though I come from a family, at least on my mom's side, and now also on my dad's side, where people travel so much, mm-hmm. it was like I think um, nobody quite understood what I meant. Like they under they had the concept of you move from one country to the next to go work, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know this idea that you mean you just keep moving and right. there's no job involved, right? <laughs> you know? Like, wait, every other month in a different country? Like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> so that was difficult, and they didn't quite understand. What they thought I meant was, of course, you're going to go to the UK because most South Africans go to the UK or go to Dubai to work, and then they come back home and settle down. But that's the presumption, right? That was the, that. Was assumption. <laughs> Sorry. Right. There was the assumption that, I would go there, but I kept saying, no, that's not what I want. Like I want to keep moving from country to country. And I think that was so difficult to explain. Uh, Everybody was really supportive. I won't lie. My family was extremely supportive because they literally just thought, "Oh, you're going to go get a job in the UK or get a job in the US or get a job somewhere in Dubai and work and come back and do the usual, especially because I moved to South Africa. I go back to South Africa for a little while. I miss home and I leave again. So that's become the norm Okay. Uh, for my family. Once they grasped that this is what I do and this is what I wanted to do, it was okay. But yeah, the and the, um, what everybody told me constantly, and I think South Africa is very different, right? Because... Remember, we're a country where most of our mom's generation, like my mother's generation, my uncle um, and all his friends and a lot of family friends had gone into exile, had left the country to go into exile because of the unrest in the country. So leaving the country to live in another country wasn't unheard of. But again, it was like, there's no need to leave. And... But there was an understanding that we can leave for better economic opportunities, right? Because of the way South Africa is, especially around racism still and everything that maybe opportunities are better abroad because even if you're um even if you're black, you can have better opportunities abroad than in South Africa. Then the assumption was like, okay, that makes sense. So what I'm doing was like, okay, let's make no real <laughs> at all because now it's not for the economic reasons. It's just, right. you're
2: just... <laughs> and so you 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 had some support from them. Did you did you need or get support from anywhere else as you were starting out and figuring out how you wanted to travel and where?
0: Yes. So um when I started traveling there was this uh, something crazy happened when I was in high school. So it was it was a wildest thing. Um, South Africans, uh, something got introduced in South Africa, this concept of a gap year. Okay, I don't know if you guys, if you've ever heard of that, if that's a thing in America. Like I didn't, when I was in Boston, it was never ever mentioned. When I was there for like five years, nobody ever spoke about taking a gap year.
2: No, it's not. I've heard of it, but Americans don't.
0: Yeah, so people, it's kind of like how people go to the Peace Corps, right? But in South Africa, it was more like um, when I was in high school, they, uh, they would sell us these ideas in high school around taking a gap year, which is they would convince parents that kids need to take a year off or two years off Go travel around Europe. It was always Europe uh, because of our colonial history, right? right? Nobody ever sold the U.S. or Canada or anything. Although in recent years, our working at summer camps in the U.S. has become a thing, right? But yes. it was usually like have them take a gap year and then they'll come back more clear about what they want to do with their lives and then you can pay for varsity. So that was the thing that most people at my school were doing, and I was always so jealous because we couldn't afford to do that at home, right? It was like, I come from a traditional African family, so it was like, uh, yeah, all your white friends are doing this, but that's not, our thing. you're going straight to university, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, so I always had this thing that I want to do a gap year. I just want to travel for a while. I want to know what that's like because, All my friends from high school would come back to um, UCT. I'd meet up with them. And I I was in my third year at varsity already. And they were like, oh, we took this gap year. Look at what we did. We went to Rome. We went to do this. We did this. We did this. And I was like, oh, just want to do that. And so after varsity, some of my other friends moved to the U.K., And moved to different countries, and I'd met people because at UCT we met so many different people from different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And the house where I lived in was kind of this crazy house where me and my neighbors were all at Vasily, some of us were working, and we would invite people from all over the world to come crash. So, well, Word got around over the years that, you know, if you arrived in Cape Town and you didn't have a place to stay, you could look up these two, you could look up these people, you could look up Joe, Azambi, or myself, all these people, and uh, ask them for help, and people would refer people to us, and so we ended up knowing so many people globally. Which, funny enough, I still had that dream, right, from high school. I've always wanted to travel since I was like in primary school. It was my obsession. Mm-hmm. And then in high school, with the gap year stuff, it became, I like, it became more than a obsession. And then when I would meet all these students from various parts of the world sharing their amazing study abroad programs and ideas, and even though UCT had a study abroad program, I just didn't know how to make it happen for myself. I was just like, but that's not what I want. Like, I want the full shebang, you know. So I never applied for that. And when I started traveling, all these networks from university have come in handy till this day, like, When I moved to London, I had a place to stay with one of my friends, Mark. And Shashika gave me a bicycle. She was one of my friends from UCT. Shashi and Moon showed me the roads. They helped me find a job in London. When I got the cruise ship job, my friend Mary Alice helped me um, uh, understand a lot of things about the U.S. They would send you send me letters to the cruise ship. It was crazy. Um, so when I moved to Boston, Mary Alice's sister, Le, um, Jen, who I'm so in touch with, so I'm so in touch with all of them, um, she lived in Massachusetts, so she would, um, so Mary Alice came down to see me, um, I would go visit Jennifer, and it was just like this amazing welcoming for me, because I, thought, I realized that without those networks to travel, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it would have been as easy. When I went to Brazil, my friend Veronica hosted me. So many people have, like, shown me the ropes in different countries mm-hmm. and basically helped me acclimatize so much faster. You know, when I'm looking for apartments, people will say, when I was looking for an apartment for, in Boston and I had, a, and I had to move, my friends were in the States were able to say, hey, go on Craigslist. I'd never heard of Craigslist. I was living in the UK. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I had to find an apartment all the way from uh, a Milton team, a woven sand, actually, in the UK. And I was, I was like, oh, so we're on Craigslist. And I literally found my apartment before I landed. And uh, my housemates picked me up from the airport in Boston and, then they showed that I needed to buy stationery for school, all sorts of things. And they went everywhere with me, you mm-hmm. know, because I'd already met them and had a phone conversation with them uh, via uh, via Skype. And they were like, no, we really would love to room with you. Mm-hmm. So it was a really, I found that like knowing people has been key because they're the ones that helped me get jobs. They've been, they've helped me get apartments. So I mean, you know, even moving, even getting to Penang, I had, I had an apartment and I got the apartment before I got to Penang because of friends. Yes. So just these incredible networks. And what I found is that the more you travel, so maybe you don't have a network in one country and that's okay because the more that you travel, the more other people, and you tell the next person, I'm going to this country people are so willing to open up their networks for that country for you you know yeah. so it's just so powerful because you just ask the next person that you know do you know anyone who knows anyone or do you know anyone directly in this country and just connect with them it makes the process easier cuz most people it doesn't cost much to ask people and for people to respond and say yeah if you want to look at a look for apartments look up this website or go to this facebook group and post in it or something mm-hmm. that makes a world world of difference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean you know when i got to Chiang Mai, right like you connected me with people and since then i've been able to find my feet in Chiang Mai.
3: yeah
0: just a simple thing. remind me when how
2: did we meet <laughs> was it was it through the black women Digital Nomad Group, yes. and then we were just messaging back and forth.
0: Yes, so um, I joined that because I was like, "Oh my god!" I uh, Chiang Mai was the one place where I didn't have networks, and my networks didn't know anyone in Chiang Mai. And people were like, "What? Like, man, what the hell? What is <laughs> Chiang Mai?" <with?"> yeah. <laughs> wow my entire travel network doesn't know this place and so i went on facebook and i was like okay let me look for digital nomads because i also just gotten some kind of internal guidance so i've been in south korea
3: mm-hmm.
0: and when i was living in south korea a guy out there was like man, you should definitely check out Chennai. i was born there so i was like cool and then I was like, oh, I looked up Chiang Mai and everything in my spirit was like, just go. I didn't know much about Chiang Mai. I looked it up for like five minutes, bought a ticket, got myself to Chiang Mai. <laughs> and then when I was here, I was like, oh, crap. Then I asked around and nobody knew anyone in Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. And much about Chiang Mai, actually. People were like, we know people in Bangkok, in Phuket, just like your normal spot. And yeah. then I was just like, holy crap. Then I connected with, um, then I went online and I Googled digital nomads because I knew that uh, after a few weeks, I got the feeling that Chiang Mai was definitely a nomad place.
3: So
0: then I connected with you and you you connected me with a bunch of people because when I connected on there, you sent me a message. You were like, hey, introduce yourself. How are you? And I was like. I just landed in this place called Chiang Mai. I are like, oh, I used to live in Chiang Mai. I was like, go. And then you connected me to a bunch of people. <laughs> it
2: was cool. So let me ask you, Wang Yule, what has it been like being a Black woman and traveling? How has it, or it has it has it impacted your work and your travel?
0: Mm, for me, it's impacted me so positively. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember, I come from South Africa. (laughs) I was like, my experience, like, I was always so aware in South Africa of being Black, and in particular, being a Black woman, and just, like, experiencing, um, just, I mean, South Africa is one of the most beautiful countries. I still say that after all my travels, I've been to the Caribbean, been to so many different beautiful, beautiful countries in Asia and I still say South Africa is the most beautiful country in the world and I've influenced so many people to go to South Africa but just like when I was in the US, I was always so aware of my race you know, and I'm often aware of my race in South Africa except when I'm in the village and for me, I feel like especially travelling through Asia is been it's almost like I could breathe for the first time you know yeah like going to other African countries and traveling through Asia has it feels like I've been healing trauma and it's not just me I know when we're in Sri Lanka the the um, retreaters from South Africa also had the same kind of like wow like I've never been you can be the only person that looks like you but just like until people stare and look at you and come ask you questions, you're just never aware that, oh my god, I'm this black person, I need to act a particular way, you know? There are parts of Cape Town where you walk in as a black person and you feel like, oh god, did I just land in little Europe? you know, yeah. and because you're literally the only person that looks like you in the space, and you're in South Africa. on right. African soil, which is something that has always affected me and annoyed me, but you can feel it energetically, whereas in Sri Lanka, Thailand, India, there's been places where I'm literally the only person that looks like me, but for some reason, I forget, completely yeah. forget. Yeah. You know, because of how you're treated is like, a human being oh my god I'm being treated like a human being right (laughs) and it's just so incredible because you literally completely forget and what that's made me and I feel like it's been so healing because it's allowed me to just do the work on the trauma around racism Mm-hmm. but without the constant triggers the only time where I decide to trigger myself is when I go online and then I read stuff and then I'm like ah! but I've never gone into a place in Thailand and been followed around in the shop
3: yeah. you know
0: which is, that can happen in South Africa and things that I've experienced in the US I've never gone into a restaurant and felt like I I'm receiving bad service because I'm black right You know? it's like, it's just tiny little microaggressions. Yeah, are not part of my life anymore, and they haven't been in years and years. You know, right? But for me has been just—it's been life-changing. So, yeah, definitely, I recommend traveling for for a lot of Black women, especially if you come from countries that carry deep racial trauma.
2: It can sometimes be difficult to describe, but I, I think you said it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You just get to be human and you're not, yeah. we- you're not wearing your skin color so much. Yes, you are black, but it's like almost secondary.
0: Exactly. You can like walk up to vendors and ask for things. And you're not even like I literally forget, you know. <laughs> and it's only when people go like hey where you from and i'm like oh yeah you know Mm -hmm. but it's such a it's such a beautiful experience and and i think for me it's the little things like getting service like signing my lease agreement for my apartment Mm -hmm. minor things like that like the microaggressions are not there there's no implication that you can't afford something you know it's just amazing <laughs> and it's something that i don't take for granted it's just you know something that i i'm absolutely wowed by and that's also why i started doing the retreats in asia the way that i do because so many south africans remark on that as well like wow this is so like wow it's almost like there's a freedom in how we move we can just be relaxed and i'm like "Yeah," and Actually, the crazy thing is I feel like that's how we should have been living in our own countries to begin with. We shouldn't have to leave home to experience that. And that's what really upsets me, is that why do we need to leave home to have that experience?
2: But I think that is part of the fundamental construct. You don't understand the waters that you exist in until you're out of those waters. Yeah. And so it's hard for you to see all of the things that you deal with until Mm. you don't have to deal with them anymore and to know that it's not normal. It's almost like also, like when you're growing up and you think that everybody is experiencing the same stuff you're experiencing and you think that's just normal life and you learn that, oh, that was abusive. (laughs) Like, oh, like, no, this is normal.
0: Sorry. Exactly, guys. Right? Because I'm starting to notice certain things. Like I found myself not able to tolerate microaggressions as well. Yeah. You know, like I I find myself unable to do a lot of emotional labor around race anymore. Yeah. I realize I need so much emotional labor to educate people on racism. So I'll educate the first few times on social media and then I'll like block the person. This is not the way to move forward, no doubt, but it's also like, I realized that, oh, I don't need to deal with the things that I dealt with and that I was actively dealing with things that were not necessary to deal with and that were so triggering and traumatizing when it came to race.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, it's like, wow, we deal with so much and we don't even understand because I used to have that attitude that, oh, people don't understand racism because they don't really deal with a lot of black folk or a lot of people of color. But then I've come to Asia, like I've been in Sri Lanka, um, in Thailand, in various countries, and I'm just like, listen, the majority of these people have actually never seen a black person before, but they treat me like I'm human. They treat me as they would anyone else. And sometimes I even like, I remember in Vietnam uh, last month, someone was in, the, was in the line before me and the shopkeeper wanted to serve me first. And I said, no, no, serve so them. Like they Vietnamese serve them first. They were here before me, yeah. you know? So little things like that where I'm like, oh my goodness, come on. So I realized that there is no excuse for racism. We make so many excuses when we don't have to make excuses and that the more we make those excuses for others, the more we actually, um, I wanna it. say, put, yeah yeah, able, but also we kind of like, um, we don't acknowledge our trauma, the traumatic, um, the, tra- the trauma that, is, that that does to us. I don't know how to put it, but like just how hurtful it is for us to then step out of our own pain of being discriminated against to feel another person's pain and their fragility. So I'm like, uh -uh, I'm no longer about that because I've seen other cultures and how other people treat me having never interacted with a black person before. And I can no longer tolerate that. I find myself very intolerant (laughs) of racism and uh, like racial trauma that's directed at me is just no longer something that I did. I had an incident at, um, at a villa that we had the first retreat in Sri Lanka, the, the first retreat in Sri Lanka in Ella. We booked this, uh, we booked two different villas in Ella and one of the villas was owned by white South African. I'm not gonna name the villa's name. If people are thinking of doing retreats in Sri Lanka and you want the name of the villa, you can contact me so I can tell you where not to go. But we walked in there and the racism was so palpable that the experience that I had was just like holy crap. And the students complained. we all complained. You know, and it wasn't taken seriously. So even though I booked for the second retreat, I chose to forfeit all that money rather than put the retreaters through that experience again. And we just used that other, the other venue that we booked at, which was, um, which is owned by Sri Lankans and mainly run by Sri Lankans. And the experience was phenomenally different, amazingly so. Because instead of using both villas, we were, allowed to do whatever we wanted at that villa, and in such a respectful manner. And for me, that's reiterated. I was like literally at the first retreat, we had to do work around racial trauma, whereas all we wanted to do was womb healing,
2: Yeah. right?
0: We wanted to do womb healing, but instead we now have to, I had to pause the retreat and have us dissect for an entire half a day the racial trauma and aggression that we were experiencing in the space, in a villa that we have fully paid for, you know? So little things like that. And I just learned, I was like, listen, we don't have to experience this. We can just use that one venue that we booked at and have an amazing experience, an incredible experience, and just be fine, and we did. So I think I'm learning a lot from traveling. It's more like it's helping me reclaim my humanity. And keep saying to myself, I am enough. I've got nothing to prove. I don't have to prove that I'm human. I am human just for breathing and for being human.
2: Yes. I love that. And t- <laughs> in addition to how you've described what it is to be a black woman traveling, how has it been for you to build your business as a black
0: woman? <laughs> beautiful (laughs) it's hilarious when I first started I had I really wanted to work with black women around money trauma and coaching and running the retreats and everything and at the back of my head I used to have this horrible belief that black people won't pay like black women in particular can't afford to pay for my services or won't pay for my services I mean I've I kind of like imbibed a lot of that um, belief system from South Africa and how they market to Black people and all that. And I was just like, oh. So I think with traveling and luckily I started traveling at a very young age when I decided I was going to start Wealthy Money, my target audience was Black women. And that has been the most beautiful, magnificent, decision I ever made because I found my target audience to be highly supportive, so understanding and just like not scared to do the universe. You know, they ask tough questions. The work has evolved precisely because I'm working with black women and In my money work, we don't mind going into diagnosing racial trauma and how it affects us financially. We don't mind going into diagnosing ancestral trauma around race and healing that. And then we heal things like gender, like how we show up as women in the space. We talk about what that does to our wombs, all these things. So I just think it's been beautiful because it's been healing for me as well. And having this target audience and having black women as my main target audience has been phenomenal to the point where my retreats are black women only. I mean, like, I don't, I think I'll extend to black men and other women of color, but for many reasons, I just feel like I'll end at women of color and people of color in general moving forward. Cause like I said, I'm doing more and more work with various people from different races, but even my white clients, I have to tell them, the retreats are not for you. And that's because like I want in the retreats, we inevitably end up unpacking things from a perspective of that people of colour can understand, like we unpack gender, we unpack, we unpack racism, we unpack what it's like as a black woman in a relationship or even as a woman of colour in relationships because one of my friends from Sri Lanka was at the last retreat in Sri Lanka and it wasn't awkward at all like she was able to unpack things from a Sri Lankan point of view but my fear is that if we have white women or other white people in the space, then we can't do this work because maybe people will feel attacked. And then we have to stop for tears and really comforting them and saying, no, we're not attacking you or any of that. And I just don't have the time. I'm not going to lie. No matter how evolved you are, so I'm, just, I'm just, all my white friends know this, right? Like, I just don't have the time. One of my closest friends and she's white, told, like, um, she came out for, she's one of the few white women that I will always allow at my retreat because she does racial work, right? She, she does work around race, so she gets it. But she was telling everyone at the last retreat, she was at the retreat in Thailand, and she was like, that is the last person I contact when I'm triggered about anything racial because she'll just, tell me she'll just react in a way that will hurt me even deeper right? so she like to got other people that she goes to so I know who I am and how I react to things so I know I'm not that shoulder to cry on that a lot of my white friends don't come to me for things around racial stuff so you can't handle what I'm going to say about white feminism or racism or any of that we're not going to be friends and the retreat is going to trigger you. You can't hold that space for yourself and you start crying. I know I'm going to go ham. you And it's not me being racist or being anti-white. It's literally me saying, listen, I know I'm going to break you. If you come That's to any of my streets. Don't bother. And literally, my white friends tell their white friends that. They're like, that is not the person that you're going to have that conversation with. Because I'm the person that will call you and be like, please go and post on this group and tell your people to stop doing this. You know, I am not the person that's going to be feeling and understanding. That's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's why the retreats are the way they are. But it's been just so beautiful because we get to do the deep, deep healing work. And that for me is like why I say it's been such a beautiful experience building this business as a Black woman because maybe because I also get to unpack my racial trauma, get to unpack the trauma of patriarchy around my finances, around entrepreneurship. And somehow that becomes a body of work for the course as well so it seems and like- what I also want to say is it's so fascinating because I do have white coaching clients and white students in the money magic course right mm-hmm. and a lot of them I mean when we coach around just that racial stuff because it does come up in my coaching sessions because of who I am, right? Mm -hmm. It's so profound how much work we get done and how much actually goes into healing that. So I'm not scared to do that one-on-one, but I also know that I just don't have the capacity to hold the space for someone who's gonna be crying and black women's pain is being unpacked at the same time. I know who I am and I know how I react, but coaching is a whole different modality and especially just around money because there's a lot around oppression and the history of oppression that ties into money that needs to be unpacked. Right. And that's also why I don't just believe in the positive thinking mindset because where does where do we unpack white guilt around money? Right? That needs to be unpacked. It can't be swept under the rug. We must do work on that. It must be done. There's no other way forward. What kind of challenges have you had to face along the way? Okay, so challenges. I think my biggest challenge has been my own demons, to be perfectly honest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like, <I laughs> my challenge has been forgiving. I, I honestly think the reason why I do the work I do around emotions is because If anyone knows how to carry an emotional grudge, it is me. (laughs) Like, do you know how to carry a grudge? It's me. So my challenge has been learning how to forgive and seeing how my inability to forgive actually held me back for years. And I say this because I could, once I started doing the work, one of the first things that came up was. I was refusing my own financial success because a big part was if I become successful, then people in my family and other family members and friends will look and say, look, we didn't F her up so badly because look, she's still succeeding. So it could not have been bad what we did to her. And what I really needed was people to feel that guilt, was for people to feel that guilt and be like yeah we really did around so my biggest challenge has always been around forgiving I forgive so fast these days you know like (laughs) like literally in like a day or two I am that person that has that is doing the work and doing the work and forgiving but that took years of work to to get here right since 2011 and I think I literally only forgi- forgave members that I've been, family members that I've been struggling to forgive since 2011 mm-hmm. last year. And the financial breakthroughs that came from that were phenomenal. And the only reason that I actually even forgave true study was because I started to realize how it was holding up my Thai retreat, like how I wasn't able to do everything I wanted to do for the Thai retreat and get people signed up and everything because I was holding on to this because I still wanted to prove how much they had effed me up and be able to say, look, I'm not succeeding. I'm not able to do anything because of you. I still wanted to blame them. So I basically did this deep, deep, and I remember I spent like two months just on the work and was detailing step-by-step step for the Money Magic students um, where the Money Magic is my course In the Facebook group I was doing live videos on just the challenge and then just one day it was just like, okay, enough already. I forgive, I let go. But it took so freaking much and since then I'm like so cognizant that I don't want to hold a grudge like that ever again because yeah. it took so so much out of me just to be forgiving. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. So for me, that has been my biggest challenge, my biggest, and then the other big one has just been managing my emotions. Um, I'm not a person like, and I think anyone who follows me on Facebook and sees my personal profile gets the idea that I'm not one who is a deep thinker before I blow up (laughs) and go crazy on something. So it's just been learning how to manage my emotions. And by managing my emotions is to sit with them Mm -hmm. and be still and accept them. I've had to learn how to do that. I'm usually like the, oh, I feel angry. Let's go blow up a building kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally that person. And most people don't believe me nowadays, right? Except people who, who know me from long ago don't believe that that's the kind of anger that I have and that's how I dealt with my emotions, but that's because Everyone is meeting me now when I'm like meditating, doing inner child work, <laughs> doing yoga. Trust and believe if I wasn't doing this, I would probably be a person who's starting wars. And I'm very aware of that. Right. <laughs> I have that, like if I channel, because I when I channel my entire passion into something, mm-hmm. I like can do so much and usually I would channel my passion with anger and then when I feel absolutely anxious when I feel sad my sadness would go from sadness to I need to die now you know I think I want to leave this planet it was never just like normal yeah. <laughs> emotional state. and I'm happy to say that like since I started this entire journey In 2011 of just like deep healing, yoga, meditation, doing all this deep work, like that has shifted so dramatically, you know, it's just been an incredible, incredible shift. It's like, now I'll be like, I'll say to people, that person just makes me so angry, whatever, and let it go. I'm no longer like, wow, you make me angry. I'm going to start World War III for you, you know?
2: (laughs) So it seems like you, as you are going through the process yourself, and as you continue to heal yourself, you're bringing people along with you.
0: Yes. And I think that has been so true. That is still so true. Hmm. And, And I'm glad for that. I mean, I have no other explanations. I'm just happy that I get to do that
2: so um you mentioned that you you do your meditation you do your deep inner healing work you do yoga are there are there any specific self-care practices that you take advantage of that you haven't talked about yet
0: I journal mm-hmm. I journal a lot mm-hmm. um, what is your yeah,
2: What does your journaling look like? Do you just uh, write from your own head or do you use prompts?
0: No, I use prompts. I've created a bunch. I've got a one-year journal course that like takes six hours a week. So I've got like 52 lessons and each lesson takes six hours a week. Wow. (laughs) Again, everything I do, I also do for myself. So I created this one-year journal course for my private clients Mm -hmm. and it's got journal prompts. My needless to say, I take like a whole six like weeks to do one lesson. So I tend to use those journal prompts and just sit with the question with the mm-hmm. question. So I ask myself questions about what I'm feeling right now. so it's about different things. You know, each lesson is a, is a whole different lesson altogether. so then, I use those lessons and each meditation I have in the money magic course can be done like for a lifetime. You know, we do meditations over and over. I mean like there's 30 meditations. So each meditation excavates quite a lot. So Mm -hmm. you're going to with things and each meditation has journal prompts from it. So I use those journal prompts as well. Mm -hmm. I just ask myself really specific questions about the thought or the emotion that I'm feeling. But most of the times it's just like I literally use my own work. I'm a student of my own work. Yeah, I would say like kind of why the work has come to be is because of my own experiences so every time i have experiences i create that i create a body of work around it that's why my courses are lifetime courses and they just living breathing courses that continue to grow and grow and grow as i grow so like for example right now my entire focus is real estate so i started the real estate podcast which i haven't launched yet because we're still interviewing people and i just want to have a bulk of episodes before we go live with it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the questions that I ask people, I realize that these are questions that I need answers to right now Mm -hmm. as I'm building a real estate business. So that's kind of how I tend to work is that the work that I work and uh, the work that I do and everything that I create from this work is based on me and my own struggles as well. So it feels very much, it that's why I think a lot of people connect to it and like, like, Oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. Because when I did the debt, the work around debt and paying off debt, it was because I was working on paying off debt and I was seeing what was working, what wasn't working. And then when it was increasing income, it was because I was seeing what wasn't working, what was working, what wasn't working around increasing income. And now that I'm working on passive income, I'm, Creating this body of work that oh I see what would work around passive income and so far it's been about property and I'm sure there'll be other things that start to come to the fore you know so as it grows I think that's what helps a lot and that's why people feel like oh this works for me because I've been when I was depressed I did work around emotional intelligence and how to feel less anxious and less depressed. And that's why I think a lot of people feel like the work when uh, they read a heart, mind and money and read up on anxiety and depression and all that, it helps them because they like, Oh, this makes sense. Because I was writing that when I was there and I was able to see that, Oh, every day when I do this, my anxiety lessens, my depression gets better. Right. You know?
2: So out of your practices, what do you find to be the most grounding? What helps you to center yourself no matter where you are?
0: Ooh, meditation. Vipassana, med- Vipassana meditation. I'm a Vipassana meditator. I tell everyone, even in my courses, all my clients, that it doesn't matter what you do, like, please consider Vipassana as an option. You know, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the most powerful thing. Even my work can't compare to Vipassana. You know, it's just Vipassana meditation saved my life. I mean, before I started on this body of work, I was happy, I was introduced to Vipassana and then I did a lot of Vinyasa yoga. Mm-hmm. And from that, my depression completely disappeared after 10 days of Vipassana. Obviously, I was doing vinyasa yoga before then and all that, but that helped tremendously. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I edited this work, and it's just been game-changing. Game, game game-changing. Wow. So for me, Vipassana will always trump everything. If all else fails, I at least try to do 30 minutes of meditation a day. Mm-hmm. There was a time I was doing two hours a day, but you know that old, uh, that old saying that when things start going well, people abandon <laughs> the things that help them. <laughs> That's yeah. me, but I'm, I'm proud to say that I at least keep up the 30 minutes a day, you know? Um, it's the most powerful thing I know. I don't ever want to stop meditating always helped me Mm -hmm. continues to help me even after like all these years so it is the one thing that I recommend to everyone and if you're having problems meditating and you know you can't go to a vipassana just yet uh, I really do recommend um, just breath work And for me, how I do breath work is usually with sun salutations. So with just simple sun salutations where I'll get on my yoga mat and I'll do inhale, exhale for 30 minutes of sun salutations. And then I'll mix it up with a bunch of other yoga poses in between. Mm -hmm. It has never failed me. Even just yesterday, I woke up and I was like, oh, where's my anxiety coming from? I'm feeling anxious and I haven't felt anxious in years, you know, like I've been so blessed because of the work that I do. And the first thing that I, I mean, I did have a five hour massage the day before, mm-hmm. Kundalini massage. so a lot of things were unblocked and I mean, I'm still releasing and purging. It's so crazy. I'm going again on Saturday for another five hours. <laughs> it was just amazing and the craziest thing about this massage is that like I literally woke up and I was like where's my cellulite I, I freaking kid you not <laughs> wait 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 I was like, oh you, my god you said you oh were my, yeah. my cellulite has disappeared after just like five hours of massage I'm like cut me in for this I'm back on Saturday but it was just really hilarious because I literally sent a, uh, one of my friends a voice note I was like I freaking kid you not I've been like in the mirror I've been like doing various yoga poses and looking at my thighs I'm just like so sort of a crazy <laughs> thing like yeah I really recommend yoga and just breathing just i found that has helped for me tremendously for me yoga has never been about the asanas as much as it's been about being in my body and breathing the asanas i just i find yoga to be equally as powerful as meditation for that reason for me it's a type of meditation it's just like Breathe in, exhale when you go to this. And so I do my yoga asanas extremely slowly. Mm-hmm. I also do tantra yoga. I'm a qualified tantra yoga teacher, mm-hmm. but I still swear by sun salutations and just like breathing through them. And for me, I I learned that during vinyasa because I was obsessed with vinyasa when I was in Boston and. I couldn't really understand why until I got back from the Vipassana meditation. And for some reason, I guess, because I finally learned how to be much more, a little bit more aware. I, I remember just going to my vinyasa class and being like, oh, my God, the reason why I love this particular teacher in this particular class above all else is because she focuses so much on the breathing. And that, for me, is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: It seems like your life and your work are very intertwined. Um and like is yes. that right? Okay. <laughs> so I was wondering like if you have any hobbies or interests that have anything to do with your work. Not that you have to. Uh, I'm just curious if you do.
0: Yes, like my hobbies and interests are like reading. <laughs> reading a, a lot of really bad sci-fi novels. I'm in the middle of reading a really horrible well not. It's not like literally reading, you know. I'm mm. reading the sci-fi series that I've had to stop myself because I wasn't getting any work done. I would only get coaching done. I wasn't getting stuff done. I was like, listen, I've got to record meditations. Let me just put away the series and start doing actual work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Surprise! I told myself today. I'm like, as soon as I finish, I'm going to download the next book in the series and just stay all day in bed. I probably won't sleep tonight and just. (laughs) So I love reading. I love hiking a lot. Um, Hiking is one of my favorite things to do. I don't know if getting massages is a hobby, but I'm I'm one of those people that does (laughs) weekly massages. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my god. I don't know how people live without massage. I, I literally need massages to live. Other uh-huh. um, <laughs> hobby is um, I love writing. I mean, being a writer, but that's also part of my work. Mm-hmm. So just really things that are not part of my work. Part yoga is now part of my work because I teach it at the retreat. But uh, hobbies: reading, definitely um, writing poetry. That's not part of my work. So I do I perform spoken word poetry every so often, um, and I'm also recording a spoken word poet a poetry album. So oh wow, yeah, that should be out sometime soon. And then hiking, hiking is definitely hiking and camping. I I'm such a camper. I'm anything to do with dirt. <laughs> swimming, I love swimming. It's one of my favorite all-time things. I've always loved swimming. So if I can swim, I will always do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, like when I was in Vietnam, I swim like every single day in the ocean for at least an hour. I would spend all day on the beach. I would arrive on the beach at like 12 or 1 pm and leave at like 6 p.m. And I I would spend like every few minutes in the ocean come out rest as soon as I got dry I would be back in the ocean just swimming mm-hmm. so I love it yeah. and of course traveling is a hobby
3: <laughs> yeah
0: that's true
2: what, what's one of your favorite ways to explore the places where you go the countries
0: mm-hmm. favorite way to explore countries um I literally, so this is what I do. This is an honest to God truth. I either message friends to ask them if they can introduce me to people. And then I visit people and ask them what I should do in the country. And I usually do that or go on tours with them. But I never do traditional tours. I go like, so if I make a friend that's from Thailand and they'll be like, hey, do you want to come through and do this with me? I'll treat you to lunch or something. Okay, cool. Let's do that. So, that's my favorite way to explore is with the locals. Um, just recommendations from people living in the country. Um, or else one of the things I also love doing is just chilling out at coffee shops. Uh, For the first few days that I'm in a country, I go to a coffee shop, get a smoothie, work from there, chill out, and then ask the waitresses some questions and then I'll get my tour itinerary. That's how I usually end up in places that people have never, ever been to, not even the locals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I don't, I try to avoid the normal tourist places. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to India uh, several times and I've never been to the Taj Mahal. I have never actually been to any real to a, a places that everybody says you must go see in India, I'm like, wow! Every time I read a blog about places you should go to in India, I'm like, wow! Wow, well, I've actually never been there. Like, and I lived in India for like a while, so I'm like, wow! What did I actually do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like. I know I've never been to a lot of places in Thailand, and I lived in Thailand for a year. yeah, like. Every time I read things that people should have gone to in South Korea or Seoul, I'm like, wow. I wasn't, I lived in South Korea, yeah, like, nothing. Right. Boston, same thing. I'm like, what? Like, London, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. So, but I also, but actually that's why the retreats are so cool for me because people that come to the retreats actually end up going to places that most tourists never go to, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like such cool places because I find these places randomly. Usually also I'll hop on a scooter, especially because I'm mostly in Southeast Asia. I get on a scooter and I just ride around, Yeah, you know, and I'll go from one place to, and I'll go from place to, from place to place. I did this last year in Chiang Mai as well. I just decided to go or do a scooter tour around Northern Thailand and wherever I ended up on that day, I would sleep. Right. So when it started getting dark, I would get a place to sleep. I did that in Sri Lanka as well. And that's why I know Sri Lanka. So well. Wow, I didn't do it on a scooter, I did it on a bus. So when it started getting dark and that's where my bus stopped, I'd just get off and be like, okay, this is it. And I did that for like a whole In Sri Lanka, I did it for three weeks. Mm-hmm. I left everything at my friend's house and Airbnb that I co-manage. So if people want to chill out in an ama- at an amazing guest house, uh, look me up in Sri Lanka. In Jayala, it's all organic. It's vegan. Like, really, <laughs> it's amazing. And so I left my uh, bags at the at the guest house and I left and I just took a little backpack and went around Sri Lanka for like three weeks and wherever I ended up on the train on the bus wherever people told me I should go check out I'd hop on a bus the next day hop on a train go check it out and I ended up seeing so much of the country I know so much of the country now because of that so that's how I love to travel it's like I don't have when I get to a country, I have no real idea what I'm doing there, mm-hmm. but soon an idea happens to me, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a word, and I meet people, and when people say, you should go check out this place, and even if it's far, I just go, okay, I'm on a public transport, and I go, you know, and it ends up being this really insane adventure
2: that's really cool. That is, that is the actual definition of adventure, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think mean, one of the retreat venues that we went to in Alam, um, in Sri Lanka, you can't get there by car. And everybody was like, what the hell? They had to get tuk-tuks to come get us. And I was like, guys, I promise you it's worth it. <laughs> like I had to stop I mean, everybody was freaking out before they got to the menu. They were like, "What in the b <laughs> Jesus!" Like, we had to get bags into the tuk-tuks. It was it was mental. But also, I only found this place because of how I travel, right? Like, people were like, "You should go check this out." I was like, "Well, cars can't get there. It must be a good idea." <laughs> and literally a lot of places that I book for retreats. I like that. Like, it's like, people are like, how do you find these places? I'm like, if it says I can't get there easily, I'm definitely checking it out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tell me, so it sounds like your style of travel would be like you're totally location independent, but you slow travel.
0: Yes, definitely slow travel. So I never spend less than a month in a country because it's a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. I feel that way anyway Um, because of how I travel, right? Mm -hmm. Because usually like 10 days into into my travels in whatever country I'm in, I'm already lost somewhere or like I've gone so far off script. Nobody can help me except the locals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like... Getting to the airport before the the month is up is like going to be a Hail Mary. So Mm -hmm. I understand myself. So yeah, that's how I like to travel. I I don't like to have an idea of what's next, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Even when I live in the country, like I just never know what's next. I'm very much, I'm game for anything and I love that
3: mm-hmm
2: that's really cool yeah. what would you say are rewards for you so you've been able to build this business and travel the way that you want to travel the lifestyle that you've created for yourself how how does it give you life how does it feed you uh your soul
0: Oh my gosh, how does it not feed my soul? (laughs) I mean wonder. Like I get to I get to go on adventures all the time. I'm like a little kid. Mm -hmm. Anyone that watches most of my travel videos will see that I'm often in like hiking gear, sneakers, somewhere. I'll do live videos. I'm like, I just got lost somewhere and These helpful gentlemen or women are trying to help me figure out how to get my way back. (laughs) You know, it's this insane adventure. So I feel like it may not feed the adult me, but I assure you it's feeding my inner child every day. You know, like... I often come home so dirty, like, you know, the kind of dirty when like, you were a child and you have dirt on your knees, you have, oh my God, like, and that happened in Sri Lanka too with the retreaters. We went hiking and we ended up, there was a bee attack, you know, there were so many crazy things that happened, That so many crazy things that happened, happened on my retreats as well. Like everyone's always like, oh my God. Like that's why people wanna come on my retreats because they know it's you don't we don't know what's gonna happen because I'm literally traveling with people the way I would travel. <laughs> the only map for sure is where we're gonna end up sleeping for the night. And I always make sure it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? But like the rest of the stuff is just like so out there, no one actually knows what's going on. And this happened in Sri Lanka. It's like we got chased by freaking bees on a mountain mm-hmm. and as not just any mountain it's like all sorts of crazy things were happening and I, I went back for some of the retreaters and they were so freaked out everybody was running to the point where there were ambulances but everybody that was in the retreat didn't need an ambulance they got some bites but it wasn't too hectic we ran to the other side of the mountain and then my sister was holding a prayer session and Yeah, it was madness. People were, it was craziness, but till this day we speak about it, and we went hiking and ran for our lives, and it was an adventure. We went to places where cars can't get to, where even the locals are like, huh, where is that? (laughs) Where the hell are you going? You know, so... It feeds my inner child. I feel like it feeds my soul. And I never have this uh, solo, like, you know, when people are talking about adulting and the woes of adulting, I can honestly say, like, I haven't felt that about adulting. I have had more fun as an adult than growing up. My childhood was really traumatic, granted, but I've had so much more fun. As an adult, than uh, when I was a child or in my teens. And for that, I'm grateful because I get to enjoy every aspect of this adulting journey. And like, yeah, there's been the depression. And even in the midst of that depression, I can't lie, there were amazing, amazing moments because I was so traveling, Mm -hmm. right? I took things that took my breath away, and so many moments where I laughed till it hurts. And yeah, I mean, I can't complain. And also I'm an adult who gets to spend most of their time on the yoga mat and (laughs) breathing and playing around and moving my body and hiking. And I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. So I can't complain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. Um, (laughs) Can you tell me, is there a song lyric or a poem that speaks to you these days?
0: I have a quote that I was telling uh, one of the students about today, um, which is, I read it somewhere on social media, I don't know who who said it, but they said, um, sometimes you think you've been buried, but really you've been planted, bloom. For me, that really like I always think of that he, these days because I just think, wow, so much. I mean, when I started off on this entire journey, I really thought I was being buried. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like it's sixty thousand dollars in debt, unable to get a job, felt like everything I touched turned to ashes. And really I'm realizing now that I was just being planted right Well, actually those are the moments everything that happened in those moments all those things are what help now help me understand trauma and not just from an intellectual perspective but really understand it yeah. when someone says they want to end their life and they come to me and they message me i know exactly what they're talking about i'm not the person that goes "Ooh." please my goodness uh, do like affirm in a way or visualize or think positively my first thing is to say you're gonna need therapy and I know and because of that I know the resources and the therapists and the coaches the life coaches that de- deal with deep deep dark trauma and depression and suicide and I can refer people you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I know how to. Work with that in my courses when someone says, oh, I'm feeling depressed because of money and suicidal because of money. So, like, yeah, that quote for me encompasses everything that I believe. That sometimes we do believe that we've been buried, but sometimes maybe just maybe we've been planted, but you won't see that right now. So, mm-hmm. it's pointless telling someone that's going through something that right now, but you can know and hold that for them, and say, do this work, or go get this healing, and by God, please go to therapy, I'm not a big fan of therapy, but you know what, I did therapy, and it was a good start for me, and I recommend it to people, Mm -hmm. because it's just so helpful, because after therapy, I could do the coaching, and I could, you know, it helped me put some things together, so it's just, yeah, so, yeah. That's my favorite quote right now, and I live by it, and I remind myself of that every so often, that, you know, you're going through this, maybe you're not being buried, because I'm very dramatic, even right now, when I'm like, I love so much of what's happening in my life, I still go like, oh my God, I'm being buried here, like, I go crazy, and I think people... Anyone who follows me on Facebook knows that about me. Every so often I'll have a meltdown on my personal profile. It's I feel like that's part of who I am. It's not gonna disappear, but this is also part of who I am in my realness. It's that I'll be like, oh my God. That's when right. I renovated my I But like, oh my god, I'm so broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: And yeah, I, I know all about that. <laughs> um. So
0: do you know what your name means? Bangile?
2: Yes. What does it mean? please?
0: It, it is the combination of things like yin and yang. Bangile ah. means the combination of things. I say yin and yang because it's what everybody understands, okay. but it's like, Almost like the middle ground, the, the combination of the masculine and the feminine. Maybe. Yeah, so, like, yeah, I so look, that's what it means. I looked it up
2: and the internet told me that it was daughter amongst boys
0: yeah that's what they say the means but it really is the combination of things i don't know why I was named Vanille, except to say after my <laughs> um after my grandmother
2: uh, do you think that that name meaning reflects you do you think you're the combination of things
0: the combination of the masculine and the feminine yeah like totally i think even in the way that what money is it's like such it's such feminine and masculine right it's like how we approach money is like we'll work out the income worksheets and we'll do the calculations and then let's do the emotions and how we feel about this and let's Mm -hmm. go to the inner transformer around seeing our parents expand financially you know Mm -hmm. Definitely, and I do think that I am a combination of things. Like I, I do think I'm a combination of the masculine and the feminine most times. Mm-hmm. So born between the masculine and the feminine, like a woman in between the masculine, it's just, yeah, I do think it does. Um, it does reflect a lot of who I am because mm-hmm. I have a keyring that explains from from uh, South Africa that explains what. Vanille means a keyring of my name. Mm-hmm. And in it they say that anyone named Vanille tends to also be the lover of the exotic and she is the fighter for those of uh, for the underdog. And I'm like, mm. yeah, wow, it's like wow. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> Anything that I could to do like with a non winning fight and the underdog sign me up. Why <laughs> <that> would <laughs> And the lover of all things exotic, that would be me. That explains the travel. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I love things and I always want to know things that I don't know.
3: Uh-huh. You
0: know, I've always said that I probably will never settle down in terms of a partnership with the South African because I already know South African culture. Mm-hmm. I need to find someone so completely different from my culture that it just like completely just freaks me out that i'm just like wow this is so interesting and yeah and it can't be western right because the western culture already like it's so overdone and it's so we learn about it without even wanting to right it's pervasive it's so pervasive exactly Mm -hmm. so (laughs) i think that's also why i love um So many, like I love traveling most of Africa, and I love traveling most of Asia because these cultures are not so pervasive. You don't really learn about, like, say, Senegalese culture, or Moroccan culture, or Malagasy culture, unless you go to those specific regions. Yeah, you understand it. Or you never learn about Thai culture unless you come to Thailand. So for me, I think that's what also. And that's what also amazes me about travel. And that's also why I was never really interested in um, Europe so much. Because I felt like, oh, we already learn about this, these cultures without really going after them. They're so pervasive. Mm-hmm. So they have no real interest for me. They were never something that I, would, I was like, oh, I want to learn more. I was like, oh, I already read up on you probably why I also don't go to the tourism places like the yeah. Taj Mahal and all of those places. Cause I'm like pretty red up on you. I want to see what I don't know. I'm so yeah. fascinated by the things I don't know and have never heard of.
2: The nuances that you really have to experience yeah. for yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, real quick. I didn't
2: ask you where that quote came from. Do you know the author of the quote?
0: No, I just uh, found it on you. Um, on Facebook ah, okay, and it stuck with me and I never downloaded
2: it. Okay. Well, we'll see about that.
0: Also, <laughs> um,
2: I want to thank you so super very much, so extremely, um, ginormously much for our conversation today. I want people to be able to support your work and to connect with you so please share where you want them to connect with you like social media
0: wise or email or your website. And um, also, you can, just, specific- you can reach me on the website, wealthy-money.com. Okay. And there's a free download right on the website. When okay. you land there, you can download a free workbook. And if you want to contact me, you can, after you've downloaded, after you've gotten the workbook, you'll receive an email. So just shoot a reply to that email or go into the website and click on contact. There's a contact tab and there's a contact box and you can reach me on there. So super duper easy to get hold of me. People don't really struggle. (laughs) Okay, well, that sounds good. Well, thank you very much, Fang
2: Yue. I really appreciate your time and your story and your energy and your
0: passion.
2: <laughs> really,
0: really. really <laughs> Thanks,
1: Wada. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Ooh, 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 ooh.
3: <laughs>